celebration of literature, literary arts, and literary artists of the African diaspora. On this segment of the um, Lit Fest today, we have Dr. Bill Foster in conversation with Lucy Hurston. It is the niece of my favorite writer, Hurston. And they're gonna have a conversation about, about black literature and the evolution of black literature. Dr. Bill Foster is a re retired, he says retired, but he ain't, he's still teaching, a professor um, from the Connecticut State School System, system. Connecticut State System, and he's also a, a connoisseur and and historian of uh, black comics, among other things, and a good friend. So I'm going to turn it over to Dr. to Dr. Bill and enjoy the conversation. Thank you, Gita. Appreciate that. This mask, darn COVID, darn COVID. Um, but if I, if you can't hear me in the back, just raise your hand, okay? And I'll try to speak a little louder and enunciate. Can everyone hear me okay? Yes. <clears throat> Thank you. All right. This is my good friend, Lucy Hurston. Um, my, my life has been blessed by her presence, that I've worked with her as a fellow teacher, as a fellow dramatist, as a fellow actor. Um, she has engaged me to do works that her aunt wrote, some with Langston, some by herself. And I'm particularly fascinated by her aunt's travels through the South with no male escort, but only a pistol. And she wasn't afraid to whip it out. <laughs> she would go to Duke Jokes in town she had never been to, play cards all night, drink, and the women in town really hated her. So if anybody was coming after her, you knew who it was. But she not, didn't stop what she was doing, it was research. She wanted to find out about medicinal herbs. I'm telling you, she was changing the landscape of how black people deal with our literature and our lives and our history. When she first, okay, when she got to the Harlem Renaissance, all they saw was somebody who came from down south. And she was saying, well, my father created the town of black people. They, they called her liar to her face. And she said, I don't think, think so. so. You know, <laughs> and straighten them right up. You don't know everything black because you sit and find this and you wear a suit all day. Don't even get it, you know, don't get it twisted. And she straightened them out. And she set a new level of what was real for us as people. There have always been talking about African American literature, people who want to forget where we came from. They want to create something new. When we speak the King's English, you know, we're sitting around eating off, you know, off China dishes. No, that's interesting for some people who've made it or people who had an opportunity, but the rest of us drank from metal cups, set the table best we could, and still had a sense of who we were as people. Am I telling the truth, y'all? Y'all can answer, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Pretend we're a black church. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, and Lucy and I have been um, fellow teachers at the community college system for a while, and we have commiserated because it's good to have family nearby. Somebody who understands and listens to you. So it's going to be my pleasure. Somebody's going to get me off the time when it's time for me to go because we're going to be here for a long time. Um, a lot to talk about. Um, Wish you want to introduce yourself? Oh, hi. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sitting here. <laughs> good, afternoon. good afternoon. Thank you all for wearing your mask. Okay. Give yourself a round of applause. It's my pleasure. 
Thank you. Um, I met Bill when I was a student at 31 years old at the community college. Um, and I was taking a drama class. And we were doing Midsummer's Night Dream, okay? Shakespeare, I love Shakespeare, right? And here's this guy that's in the play man, and oh, he's an English professor there. I was a student. That's when we first met, all right? We did several, several, several productions of lots of other things since then. And then I got hired to teach. He was already there. I got hired to teach as a sociology professor at the college where he was at. And I spent a few years there and then moved to Manchester, where I spent the last 20-something years of my life. And I just retired at the top of this year. Oh, wait a minute, that calls for some applause. Retired with some in your head still left. God bless you. Okay. Um, so that's where we first met. We started with our love of theater. And then we co-taught a bunch of things. And then he taught first, and then I'd come to his class, and then I'd bring him to my class to talk. Um, but the understanding of the importance and significance of the contribution of Zora Neale Hurston are still unfolding. Okay, since she passed in 1960, it's still unfolding. We have more works of hers either published or preparing to publish now posthumously than she did during her life. Okay, so you're, you're, you're in for it, all right? Um, several books are, are coming out. There are movies that are that are, are in the works um, converting, like Bear Coon. If you've heard, how many of you have heard of Bear Coon? Okay, Bear Coon is the proverbial tale of how we all got here. Okay, one more. Okay. Um, Bear Coon is the, is the only documented source of what it was like to be captured at the motherland, put in these cages that were called barracoons and left at the shore for weeks, perhaps months, until the ship that just left came back for the next load of slaves, okay? Zora introduced, interviewed the gentleman who, Cujo, who was in Africa, on the continent, at the motherland, son of the king, captured, put in those cages, took the voyage, lived through slavery, okay, through the auctioning, trying to find a wife, having children, watching every single one of his children die, and then being freed and moving to an all-black little town. She got the interview. Now, you hear about Charles Johnson in the Middle Passage, but we've never had the before, during, and after tale. Okay, and Barracoon is that tale. Okay, first-hand account from someone who lived through capture, transport, slavery, and freedom. Okay, so it's an exceptionally important narrative that we have no place else. Okay, so Barracoon is probably the one you're going to be looking for as a movie um, in the near future. Right, but as a good teacher, what do I say? Read the book before you say no. Thank you, thank you. Read the book, and let me think, where could you get the book? I'm just saying, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Any Hurston-related stuff that you would really like an authentic Hurston person to sign, today would be your day to go get that book, okay? Because I don't know what I put back down to there. I live way north, all right? You do not. It's way north. 
It's bloopy. Are you, are you, I forgot. She right. That is my daughter. Um, I know you were thinking like Vermont. Yeah. The interesting thing about this story is, stop and think about this. Those of us who saw Roots as a TV sitcom, not as something that teachers showed a piece of in the classrooms, where every day, okay. hey, dude, some folks, you know, yeah. all that stuff we showed on there was like not real. They would refuse to believe it. Black people were transformed by Roots. And that wasn't the whole story. This the whole thing. Okay? And the people were thinking that they're really sad about hearing how we really feel about how our history's been told. This is gonna blow them away. Okay? And on the real, there are black people who are offended by telling that story. Don't even get it twisted. The idea is that we have to get over our own offense and have an appreciation of where our history is worth. All this expression I ever heard, and I still use it in my classroom. Not aware of your past, tree with no roots. And you know what happens to a tree with no roots, falls over and dies. So all of this is our history. Champion all of this, if you will. And not just among young people. Y'all know some older people who suddenly reinvent history because that seems to be the thing people want to do now. I'm reading all the time. I don't know everything. I'm trying to find out as much as I can. And if I, and I'm done, I pass the book on. It doesn't have to be to a young person, it's to another person. That's how stories get passed on from one generation to the next, yes? Okay, I got some stories that just changed the way I was reading. Funny, I should mention stories being passed on. Every time we meet each other, we give each other a book. Okay, because we like to read in the end, right? The love stories of WDB Okay. Yeah, little down right there. Okay. Your turn next, okay? No sweat. <laughs> oh, Oprah's name is on it. Okay, so the, the idea is that you never can get tired of reading. I had one of my teachers in class tell me about a friend of hers who had, he was of the same generation. I am very fortunate. The teachers that taught me in school were black women. The principal of one of my elementary schools was a black woman. And I never appreciated until years later what they had to go through to get where they got. And they were going through black education. They were learning Shakespeare and Chaucer and, and black writers as well. And they were just one generation away from those guys. And they were reading them and passing the word to us. When I was in elementary school, we did Carmen. Uh, all of our teachers played classical piano. They played for us on the morning assembly. And you never appreciate it. Things that were symbols of who we are and how we got where we are. Um, nowadays, I think people are still fighting about reading the Bible in school. We read it every morning. And then none of us turned into no holy rollers, but the idea is that we had to be chasing. <laughs> and somehow somebody's scared that something's going to happen inside your head. What's going to happen is that you're going to open your mind to possibilities. I read science fiction as a young person. And every once in a while, I would read stories that had black people in them. I said, whoa, black people in science fiction. This was before Star Trek. You know, thank you, Ahura, but it was before Star Trek. And the, no, don't be cutting on that. But here's the thing is, I read a story that talked about the future, and there were black people in it. Richard Pryor said this one time, and I never forgot it. He said, he said, he had just seen Logan's run. He said, and ain't none of us in there. So I guess they expect that we're not going to be here in the future. You know? And I added something to it because I'm a cart animated cartoon fan. The Flintstones, they had all kinds of guest stars. They never had a black guest star. So if we're not in the Jetsons, and we're not in the Flintstones, where the heck are we? 
Ain't no black people nowhere. Who is Mr. Rogers in the little blue pool? Okay. Oh, God. He's a mailman. Okay. Yeah. And he put it, he did that as an intentional defiance act. Yeah. All right. During institutionalized desegregation. All right. When, when Negroes, term of the time, could not go into swimming pools, were not allowed in swimming pools and stuff, he invited the mailman who was black on the Mr. Rogers show in, in his neighborhood to come and sit with him on this hot day. And he had a little blue pool that we all had for our kids, right? With his feet and had his invited the, the mailman to put his feet in the pool with him. And I mean, it was a big deal back in there. It was just like Charles Schultz when he introduced the first yeah. black in black families in our classroom. I told my class about the paper bag test. Who does not know the paper bag test? Raise your hand, let's find out. So, if you do not know about the paper bag test, raise your hand. Don't be ashamed, it's a, you know the paper bag test? Okay, good. Okay, the, everyone here knows what the color of a paper bag is, right? You go to a place and you want to take part, and they'd hold that paper bag up to your face. If you were darker than that bag, no go. Yeah. And black people did that. White people didn't do that. Yeah. So the idea is that you couldn't bring home a date, someone to meet your parents. That was a perspective. Okay, if they didn't pass the bag test in some household. And okay. God forbid you should bring up a dark baby. Like that was your fault. <laughs> right. The world changed a lot when we started talking to each other about what we can do and how we can survive here. There were times there are people who are still mad about integration. Why? Because in the black community. Every business, every type of business was owned by black people. Barbershops, beauty parlors, funeral parlors, grocery stores, boot blacks, you know, hat designers, all that was owned by us. When integration came in, it changed up, okay? And black people were not given those same opportunities they had in the communities any place else. So I understand when people are mad because integration changed. Oh, integration is gonna be a great boon to us, but no, it, it's a it's a mixed bag. And okay. Zoe was very much against integration. Okay, I mean, she was adamant about it. She did not believe in busing. Um, she didn't. She said it would be the downfall. It would be the beginning of the downfall of the race when they integrated what we had in our segregated communities. And she did lots of studies about segregated communities while she was traveling south, capturing the history. She said before these are her words. 
before integration ruined these communities, okay? But black communities that were self-sufficient and isolated, right, had one culture, had one set of standards. And so I could discipline your kid because we operated as the same concept of how kids should behave. And the teacher lived in the neighborhood and the police, if you were acting up down the street, the lady down the street could beat your butt and get in touch with your mother before you got home. And if you never put it with me. She thought she thought that the cultures and the rules and the way that we interacted as a people worked better in the educational system, right? When we were isolated, all she wanted was dollar for dollar, book for book, equal if you're going to be separate. Okay. And the problem with that equal with separate thing is that equal came never. Okay. Just separate came. All right. The black communities had an interesting kind of we watched over everybody kind of feel to it. And my community in West Philadelphia was the same. Um, my mother was big in the black church. I lived in West Philly. I could be in North Philly, which is not next door. And somebody see me, ain't you such and such boy? And I'd say, oh, because you know, I knew my mother was going to call. And I know what I was going to say. Was he doing nothing? No, he was fine. You know. And truly, it's like, and there's another part to it, too. When I would come home from college, I'd be home in my family's house in the summertime. All the adults would be at work. Come to find out, I was the oldest adult in the street. One of the kids got hurt. And then somebody go to the hospital with the kid. Every kid in the neighborhood knew where I was and came and got me. And that was the first time I realized, oh, my God, the system still works. And I'm thinking about how old I am. None of your business. I'm thinking about how old I am. And oh, and the idea is that when I was a kid, street vendors would kind of have a horse and a wagon coming through selling fish, fresh farm-fetched vegetables, or you know, or greens. And that's and I used to, I'm looking at the in the books that I read history, and that was like a 1920s phenomenon, but it was also it stayed around to the 1950s. Okay. Right. And certain people you could trust hundred percent more than you would trust a guy at the store. Okay, where the quality was not always as good, definitely not as fresh. So the, the communities we grew up and New Haven has a part of that community still in place. I followed people who on Thanksgiving go to the social service agency and pick up turkeys to take to people. They say, this is such and such. I knew you didn't have a way to get out the house. Here's a turkey for And people were so grateful. I think it still goes on. Yeah. I, I would yeah. bet it still does. Okay, it still does. We need to be gratified for that kind of stuff. Don't let, you know. You know how we are when we were teenagers. Oh, some of y'all still teenagers. <laughs> you know how we were teenagers, we didn't want to hear nothing because we knew too much, you know, and fortunately we didn't say too much because our lips would be ripped off our faces. But the idea was, is that we had to have an appreciation. They didn't get here by not knowing something. Richard Pryor said that too. He said, you never met an old person who's stupid because all the stupid people were dead. <laughs> and, and the idea was that even though the Reverend Hurston and his wife, Lucy was the school teacher in town, Right, the town that they moved to, they were actually living in Notasauga, Alabama. That is where Zora Neale Hurston was born. She was born in Notasauga, Alabama, not even your daughter. That's where she grew up. Okay, and she lied about it to protect it and for whatever other reason. But by the time she got to Eatonville, they had heard in Notasauga they were sharecroppers. Reverend Hurston and his wife were sharecroppers, right? And they had heard that there was this black town being formed all right and they were looking to get away from jim crow and everything else that was taking place there and so they moved to eatonville they show up in eatonville 
And the very first structure that goes up in the town is church. Okay. And the Reverend Hurst just happens to land the job as the first minister at the Macedonia Baptist Church. All right. The next building that goes up is school. Uh, school was, was in a social institution that it was taught at home by mommies like like Lucy, right? Like my grandmother. All right. So what's the next building that goes up? Liquor store? I'm sorry. I was thinking that. I'm sorry. Excuse me, y'all. That's lingering. <laughs> nope. Medicine wasn't yet a social institution that was done outside. Women did that. All right. How about jail? Yeah, because we need structure. We need control. You're either going to listen and you're going to follow God's orders or go directly to jail. Okay. So the the town hall, city hall structure, and the jailhouse and all that was the next thing that was built up in, in Eatonville. Now, the name Eatonville comes from the work done by Josiah Eaton, who was a um, lost the word, missionary, okay? And his, he and his wife and his son uh, were, were traveling and teaching Negroes to read, which was illegal, punishable by death, okay? That's how important it was to keep education away from Negro people, okay? Um, and he died, the son died because of malaria or something where they were doing missionary work. So in, 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 in respect to the son, they named the father, they named the, the town Eatonville after Josiah Eaton, okay? It was the very first black all incorporated town in America. Self-rule, self-government, social controls over themselves. This was a proud moment, okay? And they were self-sufficient, ran their own businesses, had their own customs and stuff, and Zora decided that this was important enough because she was a multiculturalist. She didn't think that, that um, cultures needed to be ranked, that someone's culture and practices is more important than others, just that they should all coexist. Children to children, the importance and value of each of them can be shared across lines. And that was her, her premise was that if we are, if we stop being so isolated in our silos, this way, um, then we could learn from each other and help each other out with things that occur in one culture that doesn't occur in ours. Okay, or things that occur in ours that can help out others. So she was this multiculturalist, right? The black contemporaries at the time. Right, the likes of the news, and all they really had no kind of respect for the type of work that she did because they were doing what they thought was race work, and she was doing race slash gender work. Okay, and so that whole gender issue wasn't even like a word or a thought or a concept anywhere near them at that time. So they, if she wasn't doing what they were doing, they didn't have a whole lot of respect for her, and they didn't. Right, but Helen Langston had a really good relationship, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But the foundations of Eatonville is what made Zora the type of person that she is, right? You grow up, and this is the importance and the significance of having Blacks in Black people of all kinds from the entire diaspora in the school system at all levels. If you see you, you can be that, okay? I never had a Black teacher growing up. Never, okay? Up until I retired January 1st of this year, I still had students coming into my classroom saying, oh my God, my first black teacher. I've never had a black teacher before. In 2020, I've never had a black teacher before. Right? So it, it does something to say that we built up this ourselves, depending on nobody else 
but ourselves, speaking the existence. Now, first generation outside of slavery, right? Because my father used to tell me when I used to get used to get mouth, he would say, yes, no, just remember, lady, you're just one generation between you and slavery. Oh my god. No, my father was born in 1898. Yeah. Daddy was still hanging at 60, which is when I was born. Okay. Daddy was a mailman. Somebody say amen. <laughs> He delivers. <laughs> and it's Sunday. <laughs> but one generation outside of slavery, all of the Hurston children were college professionals. Every single one of them. And every one of them had a profession. Teacher, pharmacist, doctor, okay, minor, all right, except Sarah. All right, there were two girls in the family. There was Sarah, who was the oldest, and Zora, who was the youngest girl, all right? Um, six other brothers. My father, the baby, the last one born. My father was ever. He was actually born in Eatonville. Okay, he's the only one that was born there. Right? All the rest of them were born in, in Alabama. But every one of them went to college and got a degree, except for Sarah. Sarah went to college and, and majored in Husband 101. The <laughs> um, for home economics class down on top of husband, and there you go, right? She had a career, all right? Um, but they, they all tried the, the gender pressure on Zora to try and get her to behave as to what was the norm of that time. All right, enough of this writing crap, okay? Enough of this toying around, or score. It's time, you know, you're getting up there, time to get married and have babies, okay? Just like, mm, yeah, yeah, I'll get back to you. And most of the family, my brother and um, Ben, his, his older brother Benjamin, uh, were the only two that really kept in touch with her because she was just atypical. Okay, she was atypical. She yeah. was different. She did And like like we always said, she would get in her car, named Sue, uh, with her Ford Model T, with her gun under the seat and her bottle under the seat. Okay. And she would go off and she would do field work, and she would do interviews. She would go and she would do what I call, because I'm a qualitative sociologist as well. She would do immersion work. She would go and stay where she wanted to study and just sop it up. Remember, this is a time frame where there's no recorders, there's no, you know, you just get, you gotta memorize it, you gotta write it down. She would go and she would stay in like turpentine camp and write down all the things that was the culture of that place. Right? How they did their work, what were their songs, what did they cook, what did the kids play? Right? This was fascinating work that has not been captured anyplace else. Okay, and to date, it is the only full body of work that encompasses immersion and uh, containment of black culture from the 1900s on, right? Done by um, an anthropologist. Right? She went to school with Margaret Mead. Everybody here's about Margaret Mead doing that, the Papua New Guineans, male and female gender differences and stuff, competitive work. Nobody really paid much attention to her work and said, this is useless. Of course, the black dignitaries and academics at the time, like Du Bois, okay, um, sent her off to do this, to do this work, okay? Um, and they knew the importance of it. And although she couldn't get most of it published at the time, right, they refused to publish it, okay, a lot of her work, uh, Tales from the Gulf States, where she went around to all of these Gulf states and spoke to these people in these isolated communities and got their culture captured, right, to share 
and she'd bring it to the, and she wanted everybody's name on it. She said, you don't have to be, you know, credentials to speak about your culture. Okay? So she thought it was valid, right, to go to regular people and say, so what do you do when, in this situation? What is the childbearing practice? What is the marriage practice? And you could find out all of that, and you could compare it to and find the similarities and the differences to the way other cultures work. Right? This could be a very healing uh, way to bring people together to say, okay, you know, you do this and we do this, and this is why. But there are parallel universes, you know, we do marriage. Okay, we have babies. We have certain people that come and help us with babies. Um, all of those things are cultural universals, we would say in sociology, in that everybody does them in general, right? But in particular, how we do it is different. Okay. Um, I studied um, nine nights, a nine night ceremony of burying the dead in black communities. Okay. That's from an African standpoint, and that still comes comes through today. All right. Jump in the room. All right. As our marriage ceremony, a rite of passage that changes your status from single to married. A lot of people have different ways of doing it. That's how we do it. And she documented all of this for us. Whatever to do when someone dies in local area Okay. So as in Zora's book, there is this custom of when someone dies, you turn them to face the east, you cover the mirrors or the reflection will be locked in the glass, and you cover your clocks or they'll stop working at the exact moment that someone dies. Okay. That was that was the superstitious practice, some of them, right? Zora tried to defy that at the time that her mother died mm -hmm. and literally got beat down by the people of her parents, her father and, and the people in the community. Right? But her mother had spoken to her and said, Lucy said to her, you know, you always want better for your children than you do for yourself. Right? Try as might as you try as you might to say you don't have favorites. Okay, the Hurstons had favorites, right? And John Hurston loved Sarah and really had a hard time with Zora because Zora would stand there and say, You talk to me. Okay, and Lucy. Wait, 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 wait. Your guys missed your cue. Where was the ooh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. But the Reverend Lewiston would be chasing after her with a switch, and Lucy would stop. Right? And, and Lucy said, I'm sure mine will go further in life than yours will. Okay. So Zora broke all those molds, and even the tales that my father used to tell me, um, maybe he would come home with his brothers couple of his brothers from a day of fishing or something, and they had a big property. They didn't want anything. They grew everything. And like my backyard, my garden. That's okay. true. Um, they grew everything. And then in this community that supported themselves and each other, they would trade. I, I grow pigs. I raise pigs. You can have chickens. And give me some eggs. You can have ham and eggs. Okay? So there was that that went on. Okay? This cottage industry within the town of Edenville. Um, and they'd be coming across the backyard and they'd be looking, anybody seeing Zora? She was a prankster. So many other words. I can use yeah, yeah, good. That's yeah, that's good. Prankster, okay? yes, yeah, we can use that. And they'd come across the backyard, they'd spread out and they'd say, okay, run for the back door, right? See who makes it, you can't get us all. <laughs> She'd be able to choose them over the buffalo eggs, okay? Mowing like a baseball superstar, okay? Popping them in the head with eggs as they ran for the door. All right, that's just what she did. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that Professor Hurston and I you know, share back and forth is certain things that, that stayed up into our generation. 
my family had something that I call the three-part curse. I'll give you the first part, and possibly I'll give you the second part, but everybody here knows the third part. It happens on a real deep, dark argument. You ain't nothing, you ain't never been, and you ain't never gonna be. I was like, I call that the black woman curse. If they put that on you, boy, you gonna put some vinegar or something on yourself. Clear yourself. What? What? Oh my God! I used to when my family, my sisters in Philadelphia. This is what we always we start talking about family. They call them the black mafia. Cause you know when they get ready to kill somebody, they turn real nice. You know, hey, what you come over to the house? We'll have a little party. Oh, that'll be good. You know, and some dumb butt would think that he was getting away with something. That wasn't gonna happen. You know, because I, I remember one time one of my sisters had to stand in front of the rest of the women in my family. And I had a lot of women in my family. I had six sisters and 13 cousins, 10 of which were women. If they showed up the front door, you had a choice. You could head out the back door. Well, I'm sorry, it was the only choice you had. I'm sorry, I was making that up. Because they were just, they, they were everything you imagine a woman, they were kind, they were smart, they were intelligent, they could sing, and you didn't mess with them. If my sisters didn't want to spend money on a bus, they just stand on the corner. Some guy in a jalopy pull up, hey, sister, gonna give you a ride. Well, can my baby brother come too? That was it. Because uh, <laughs> I was cutting on him the whole trip. Hey, man, why are you ugly? You know, and he can't say that because my sister's sitting right there. So I'm, I'm just biding my time. I had one guy who knew about work. I'll tell you that story after we done. <laughs> but that was the best part about it. For me, I, I gained much respect for black women because I saw the creations that they created, you know. Who they were and who, what expectations they had for me. I'm sorry, let me cut you. No, that's okay. You know, and that's one of the things that we share about our story. We don't come from nothing. We come from the best. The come people. We come from survivors. We are survivors ourselves. When people try to tell us that, well, we can't tell that because uh, that that story might depress somebody. No, not telling the story is going to depress somebody. The story is to be told. And you and you know how good you are. And they started out saying much earlier by who you see that's like you, okay? But what happens is, African proverb, mm. the, the tale of the hunt would be different if told by the lion. If you control the storytelling, right. you get to do things like make slavery a nice, happy, happy, joy, joy, reciprocal thing in the Texas New History Books. I'm like, oh, they reward it like the the, the whole history of slavery to be like a kumbaya moment. I was like, what? Okay. Well, they couldn't take care of themselves, so this paternalistic thing we say to them from Thank the God we were there. Okay. But we do this, this happens to any group that's not in power. They look at the history of Mexico, okay, and they think of them as little peasants and white and straw habits. You look at the building of Chichen Itza. These were engineering feats. To this day, they have not found all there is to find, right? If all the, the, the different locations where people lived in Mexico and built monuments, I mean, just, just beautiful structures, there were engineering feats they still can't figure out, like, hmm, the pyramids, okay? And sooner it be aliens than it be people of color, Okay, that look like pyramids, right? But the idea that we still need to see and discover and 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 share absolutely our historians, okay, is important. Okay, so everyone if you have to has to leave here and take a story to three people about this learning institution, about about 
this type of event, okay, these books, we need to support our own first. Okay, and then we'll let everybody else Okay? Oh my gosh. Thank, Thank you so much. Why are you trying to get a little bit of a sign out there? Anything you got heard, sis, what sign? Okay. So think if you ever you heard her, her they you heard her. Yes, you can. Okay. Um, and I, they are both professors, historians, ethnographers, like all that. And I, I hope you got the richness of the conversation. I want to thank you both. I have a gift for you <laughs> and one for you. I want to thank everyone for, uh, for listening to, listening in on this segment on Facebook Live and YouTube to this segment of the Elm City Lit Fest. Um, tune in for our next segment in about 10 minutes because we got to set it up <laughs> and um, and share, share all, share the, share the, the tape. Okay. Yes, you can. I am fortunate. I've been a voracious reader since I was a kid. I had people in my neighborhood who supported me. The librarians knew me by face. I had the most books you could take out was 10 every three weeks. And that was 10 books every three weeks. It was a thrift store in my neighborhood. And in the back, they had all the books thrown into a corner. I would haunt that corner every time I went there. And one time, I got bold. I used to buy one book at a time. I bought a whole, like a paper box, you know, that you have paper or a copy machine in, and brought it to the front. I don't know what the woman was going to say. And this is what she said to me. You're the only kid in this neighborhood that wants books out of here. Give me 35 cents. I never forgot that. I encourage reading among my students. I will encourage among you. Increase the size of your world. Literature can take you places people have not been yet, unless you take them. Right. And with that, we'll say good evening. Thank you.